You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. All right. Welcome to Refrigerated Diaries, brought to you from Detroit Podcast Network and sponsored by the Foundation Hotel. From workout classes to lively sore ways, the Detroit Foundation Hotel is a place where the local community and hotel guests can celebrate together. Be sure to check out the apparatus room, bridging the old and the new, offering iconic new American cuisine rooted in Midwestern ingredients. So we are Refrigerated Diaries. We're keeping the people engaged with food. Share your stories, videos, music, topics. Let people know what's going on in your diary. Hashtag what's your RD. So today we have got some amazing folks on the line here. Uh, first, we've got Petro. And I, I know I'm going to mispronounce this name, but we're going to just go ahead and go shoot from ahead here. <laughs> Drew Kopolis, is that correct? Drew Kopolis. Close, Drew Kopolis. close. Yeah, you're uh, on, Okay. You're All right. And then we got Justin Belovitz, correct? Is that? That is absolutely correct. All right. Perfect. Perfect. Well done, so sir. thank you very much. So we'll start with you here, Petro. Before we dive in with Petro, here's a little backstory. The sardines were an afternoon with my mom. Food is pretty personal, so I don't expect dishes to have the same emotional triggers for everyone. My mother passed away in 2008, so the fact that this simple can of sardines with lid rolled back let me spend just a moment with her at the kitchen table playing cards was beyond words. It's where I wanted to be when I needed to be there. So, um, Petro, for those of you listening in, is the... Director of Operations for Upcoming Project at Detroit Shipping Co., named twice now, two years in a row by Food and Wine as most anticipated food hall opening. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, we're on the list for most anticipated food hall openings in America. And in addition to that, you also are a restaurant owner in your own right. You operate out of Republica in Berkeley, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, okay. Chef owner. <laughs> All right. So you, when you open in what what do we have a open date yeah we're shooting for late spring right right so okay. april i'm put right. it this way i guarantee you you'll be coming in for great food and drinks by june right okay by, by june people so by june we are going to have detroit's very own first can to table restaurant what is that yeah, what's that about uh so it uh it's exactly what it sounds like um, Brujo is going to be my tacos and tapas spot inside Detroit Shipping Company, along with four other uh, restaurant tours and chefs. Uh, Brujo specifically, I'm going to be doing uh, halal tacos, and uh, I'll be doing that in the backside of not your normal everyday tacos. So I'll be doing Spanish-inspired tapas, tacos, and canned um, to table or canned seafood. And uh, you know, it, it's something that's very common in Europe having canned seafood. And we've seen a resurgence in the last couple of years of really high quality seafood, sustainable seafood being canned in unique, uh, amazing sauces and being shipped from Spain uh, and Portugal to America and, and really has, uh, has caught uh, fire to uh, the American palate and, and something that uh, is kind of on the rise. So what do you say to somebody who still says, but it's in a can? Yeah, I was, I was, I was about to say it's in a can. <laughs> like, can it be fresh? Like, Yeah, yeah. You know, in, in fact... It's one of the uh, stigmas. Uh, if it's in a can, it's not uh, high quality. Right? right Here in America, we focus on fresh ingredients, freshly made, freshly prepared. 
you know, the fact of the matter is the rest of the world eats differently. Right. And uh, canned seafood world is eaters. something. Yeah. Canned seafood is something that's every day in Europe. And it, it's just, n- you know, normal consumption. Uh, you know, whether you adopt a European dietary lifestyle or you just are intrigued about, you know, having smoked clams in, in olive oil, uh, you can go to your local, you know, high-end grocery, local, you know, possibly even sustainable grocery or market and, and get really amazing canned uh, seafood and canned meats for that instance as well. So no, go did, ahead. Did, did, are you from Europe or did you just kind of study over there? So I'm first generation born here. Okay. So my parents came in the 70s. and uh, So how did you find out about the canned Food like what was the what, what kind of made a catalyst to oh wow, that's something I want to do. Like, so it's funny. It uh, the first time I was really exposed to it was in um, New Orleans. Okay. I was eating my way through the city and I had stumbled upon which was at the time a brand new restaurant called N Seven. Okay, and they were traditionally French cuisine with influences a little of Spain, influences of Japan, and they had this really great segment of canned seafood. And I was, and it took me back to my youth, being uh, the son of immigrants. Uh, canned food was pretty common in my household. Okay, and it was something that uh, my mom, especially, would consume on a daily basis. And it, uh, you know, and she's passed away now. So for that moment that I ate in that restaurant, it brought you back. It brought me back. You know, it brought me back to an afternoon with my mom at the kitchen table. Nice. And and it was an amazing feeling. And I said, "This is this." Is, I said to my wife too. I was like, "This is a thing." And and she didn't really get it. And people I talked to <laughs> didn't really get it. In fact, people today still don't get it. But they're they'll they'll at least try it. And that's right. kind of what we're we're looking for. Okay. And so in addition to canned foods here, and I I've got a question for you in a minute on that. You're also doing it halal? Yeah. So I'm one hundred percent halal kitchen. Okay. And, Are uh, you Muslim? No, I'm not. In fact I'm I'm Orthodox, <laughs> Greek Orthodox Christian. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, you don't have to be uh, a Muslim to run a halal kitchen. Okay. And, and the fact is, is that we live in a society now where we strive to be inclusive, uh, no matter what your race, religion, creed. The fact is, is that I, there's a need for really great halal eateries. And the quality of the food that's coming from these prepared halal butchers are amazing. And so why not take advantage of the market? You're here in Detroit. You have amazing halal butchers. I totally Let's get agree. Some amazing meats. I totally agree with you. Yeah, that. 100%. On the Young Village food truck, shout out. Shout out. We <laughs> also use uh, halal meat. Oh, uh, word? Yes, yes absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you open up another restaurant. You're also going to be a halal chef as well. You're going to do this halal meat as well? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, Part of the core value set for Brujo. Okay. Nice. Yeah. So specific to Brujo? Specific to Brujo, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, I, I was getting into that. So I, I was looking this up, and I see that you originally came here to open Texas Day Brazil from Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. And then from there, you ended up starting your own restaurant, right? Yep. Did yep. you start that by yourself? So, no, I, it, uh, actually with my, my wife, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law. Uh, okay. They're kind of from restaurant royalty a little bit here in, in Metro Detroit. Ooh. They owned Mitch's in Kigo Harbor Cast Lake. Uh, so it was uh, one of the um, original spots. They opened 1949 and, and concluded service, I think, 2005 was their last okay. year. Right before and, it. They yeah. got it at the right time. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> they, uh, uh, they're best known for their breadsticks and pizza, ribs, chicken. It was one of these places that if you grew up in the suburbs areas that you went to Cass uh, Lake, you were there every summer eating at Mitch's. So. Okay. All righty. And then you uh, started with Brujas and now you're also, are you partnering as well with the shipyard? 
Yeah. So I originally, and the shipyard now has been in process uh, for about two and a half, almost three years. Mm -hmm. I came on about a year and a half ago to open Brujo and it took about six months of coordination back and forth and the owners who were really amazing guys. And they said, listen, we made a, a bunch of mistakes. We spent more money than we should have on mistakes we made to realize that we needed someone who knew what they were doing with bar arts and restaurants. My life story. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they're like, can you come on as a director of operations and, and help us out, get this past the finish line? And that's what we've been doing. You know, we've picked up the project on our, on our shoulders and we're carrying it past the finish line this spring. Nice. Right. nice. Carry, carry. Make sure we get this man a back brace. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the point is you, you have a lot of partners uh, in your career, and that's that's something that I think happens a lot with chefs. Uh, I don't think I've met someone who's working uh, behind the kitchen door that has not been able to just do it on their own. There's usually some aspect of of partnership that, that goes into that, right? And yeah. you started with the original ones, the fam. The fam, man, the fam. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I worked my entire career corporate. Okay. And this was my – the Te Republica was technically my eighth restaurant I opened. Yeah, I opened seven others for corporations, but it was the first one I ever owned, and it was the first one I ever owned with family. And I said, I, I kind of doing my, my career backwards. Usually you start with the family restaurant and right. you move on to right. a career in corporate. But uh, it's been a blast. You know, it allows me – it affords me the position being a family-owned restaurant to – look at my staff as family and not necessarily look at my staff as employees. Correct. Yeah. And so I get to take care of their back and they got my back. And, you know, it's it's really been a great eye-opening experience. And uh, um, I have a beautiful staff and we run a beautiful restaurant here in Berkeley. That could be the difference maker of a successful restaurant. Right? We have a one show we talked about that, you know, you need more than just good food to bring someone back to the restaurant. And yeah. you have that uh, authentic a home feel to it, you know, that's definitely it might come. Okay. I'm not spending money. I'm a part of the family. I'm getting a meal that's made with love and not just, you know, here you pay X amount of dollars for it. So yeah, that's, that's right there for me. That's a, that's a benchmark. I, I love that. I appreciate that. Yeah, man, you're absolutely right. So uh, we're going to take a break here in a quick second, but I just want to share a little story here. Uh, I had the opportunity to come and preview uh, uh, did I get a chance to preview at Republica? Was were, was any of those items going to be at Brujos? You did. You well, the only thing for that's going to be at Brujo that you got the preview was the chipotle roasted grasshoppers. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I know you were there. Are people at the table were hesitant when I brought them out, but you know that's the future of protein, baby. Oh yeah, insects. Yeah, we had twenty minute conversation about protein and insects yeah yeah, yeah. it's day. a beautiful thing right man <laughs> i mean when you think about it statistically right by the gram you get as a 33 percent more protein from the insects so to every a gram of beef yeah so every um every grasshopper is 33 percent protein and it's actually estimate 10 to 1 ounce to ounce on protein versus beef so an ounce of grasshopper consumption is almost 10 times as much protein as if you're consuming beef all right. Really? Wow. Yeah. We might have a new protein shake on our hands right here. <laughs> yeah. Let's just make <laughs> and sure. And soluble that... fiber, man. Oh, okay. And soluble fiber, health oriented. Yeah. yeah. All right. I can only hope that it is actually something that's accessed throughout all classes and not positioned to be for the 
less than fortunate, right? Like yeah. that. I, you know, you'd hope, right? This yeah, Because yeah. leave it to leave it to the rich guys to monetize <laughs> grasshoppers. You know, they did it with water. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to do it with air. <laughs> All right. So when we come back, we are going to be with Justin Belovitz, and we're going to have some nice stories to tell. Be sure to send us your refrigerator diaries. Make sure they're genuine. Don't go into the hype. And please ignore the IHOP secret menu. It's just a troll. Hashtag refrigerator diaries. Keeping the people engaged with the food. Share your stories, videos, music, topics. Let the people know what's on your diary. All right. We are back with Justin Belovitz. Before hopping in with Justin, here's a little quick intro. I was working at Toast in Birmingham, and the chef asked me to make tomato soup, around 8 to 10 gallons. I make this beautiful soup, and I'm seasoning it, salt and pepper and oregano, a lot of oregano, too much oregano. <laughs> and this was the kind of staff that really lets you feel it when you mess up. Needless to say, I've seasoned incrementally ever since. Powerful learning moment and powerfully embarrassing. couple of things that I'm going to say. Firefly Festival, Electric Forest, Tomorrow World, Ultra. These aren't just names that I'm just randomly saying. These are festivals with hundreds of thousands of people that this man has served. Thousands, literally thousands in his lifetime. I've got to say, how many times have you run out of food? Oh, at least half a dozen unfortunate <laughs> nightmares where something broke or the masses came and uh, the cheese runs out. <laughs> Right. And so, sometimes you're in places where you can't find it that quickly. So uh, for those of you listening, uh, Justin is uh, the banquet chef at the War Memorial. He is also uh, co-owner of Cheese Street as well as a multi-diversified gentleman in the Metro Detroit area. You own a, an apartment building, right? Yeah, that's correct. I own a small 62-unit apartment building. On a East small 62-unit apartment building. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's go right into the beginning. Um, did you start in culinary school? Did you start behind the kitchen? What 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 got you into the industry? Uh, I'd say being two or three years old and staying up at night watching uh, Paul Prudhomme and Emma Lagasse with my father on on early Food Network and then Iron Chef and uh, then going to meet Emeril a few times with him and book book tours and you got to meet him uh, twice. Wow. Just did book signings, but hey. as a little kid, Bam. when you see the man that you watch on TV every night, it, it drives you for something. Mm. And my parents always uh, inspired me to get in the kitchen and do what I love to do. So okay, I really want to give the props to them. Okay, shout out to the fam again, fam, fam, keeping it real, <laughs> right, right. So let let's go in. Um, let us know what, what was the very first uh, role that you you kind of got started, and what what kind of brought you in with Cheese Street. I was working at Toast in Birmingham when um, Jordan Serezny came in to uh, trial for the Susef position, and he got it, and we instantly became like fast friends. And he's the guy that started Cheese Street, and um, he asked me to come out and do a couple of events. My first one ever was right here at the Royal Oak Farmers Market, and I remember my first time ever on the truck. I go to slice cherry tomatoes, and I open the pack and I put it on the cutting board, and they all roll oh, no. right right on the floor. <laughs> And I realized, hey, you know, I'm not on a balanced surface no. right now. I'm, <laughs> I'm on a truck parked on a hill. Great. <laughs> right. So that was the moment I fell in love with the chaos that became that is food trucking, and uh, it kind of oh. gripped me then and took me for the red. Okay. And so are are you uh, continuing with Cheese Street this year? How has it been? Ten years now. Uh, Cheese Street started in 2012. I started with it in 2014. So 
It's going on six years now. And, okay. Um, so cheese street, dude. What do you guys actually have? Just cheese, gourmet obviously. grilled cheese sandwiches. Okay. Uh, electric lemonade. Okay. Uh, anything that gets the masses uh, excited. The savvy businessman can sell anything and make it taste good. It's delicious. Okay. Homemade granola, all kinds of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got wonderful names for our sandwiches too. We really attract the crowd that we go for. Give me one. What the best one? Uh, the Maui Wowie. The Maui Wowie. Yeah, I know about Maui Wowie. <laughs> I think we all know about Maui. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so let, let's uh, let's kind of figure some of these these stages out here. So when we were talking, you told me that you got the opportunity to feed a lot of famous folks. Let's let's go into a couple of those. Um, yeah, so last summer we got lucky enough that we were catering the VIP area at Firefly in Delaware. And uh, Kesha and her band were, were warming up early in the morning for their they were getting their sound checked on. And we were all there hanging out. Nobody was in the festival yet. We were just prepping. And they said, hey, can you guys fire us up some food? Said, sure. So there we are a few minutes later on, on the stage. On the stage. Of, <laughs> handing them a bunch of sandwiches and getting a little uh, private uh, – private show the reality of that is it, it's cool because i'm sure you guys weren't the only truck there right no we were the uh, one of two trucks in that vip area but one of uh, dozens and dozens i mean they had a whole subway erected it was a massive event very uh, corporate you guys were like their escalibur like <laughs> <laughs> they chose you <laughs> it was a random uh, random set of occurrences but it worked out in our favor that's right sure. so how'd you end up at the war memorial Jordan's father-in-law is the executive chef there, Frank Turner. Oh. And um, I came in last summer to help out with a few parties just as a side gig. And they ended up calling on me to come in as the banquet chef. And I took the job in September. And uh, he got sick a month later. So I kind of got pushed into the new role of interim executive chef, which I held on to for the last four months. And now he's fortunately getting better and returning to work. So we're excited to have him back. I'm I'm sensing a trend here in that no matter what position you're placed in in the kitchen, it's like guaranteed callback. People want you around. Uh, ah. Yeah. <laughs> I just try to work hard and bring a little bit of happiness to everybody I meet during the day. Spoken like someone who truly loves the kitchen, humble and proud. I am with it. So – one of the things that we, we don't get to talk about a lot is diversity and in terms of what you have to do as a chef, someone that's, that's in the kitchen, right? So you work at the War Memorial and you also own a little tiny little apartment building. How, how'd that come about? Um, well, the building was my mother's. Uh, she acquired it in the early 80s. Unfortunately, she passed away seven years ago. So Sorry to hear that. Uh, left it to me and my brother and uh, my father manages it and, uh, it's kind of a nice little family business we got going on. And, yeah. Uh, kind of something we've been doing for a long time. So, so I mean, I know what it takes to, to run a banquet. It, it takes a mass amount of hours in addition to also having your own personal life and being a partner in an apartment building. How do you have time for anything else in the day? What's your work-life balance look like? <laughs> Is it more work than balance? You know? I know my wife wishes I was home a little bit more than I am. Um, I work a lot right now, but I know that down the road it'll pay off and uh, I'll get to enjoy a little bit more family time once I'm older right now. Sorry, I've got time to uh, uh, 
to work right now. So I'm going to keep keep doing that and keep establishing myself. Okay. So you guys are working on some amazing things at the War Memorial. I've had the opportunity to take part in one of them, the Eat series, right? That's uh, that's correct. Uh, engage, aspire, taste. Right. And we do that with uh, Edible Wow magazine and uh, really fortunate to partner with them. It's a wonderful program. Uh, all kinds of classes. We pair with Bell's Brewery and Brute Detroit. We do all kinds of tasting events. Um, you came out two weeks ago and worked with me on a braising class. Yeah. Yeah. Braising techniques that make you go wow. <laughs> yeah. Also, Buco that made me go wow. <laughs> right. Right. That's so, actually going to be the title of my, my biography from grilled cheese to Also Buco. <laughs> I, I will be one of the people who buys the first copy and you can guarantee. And even if I don't have it, I, I will find someone, borrow the money and <laughs> I'll send <laughs> and you buy one. It. <laughs> for, for sure. So you've got one coming enough too right i'll be doing a class on uh, mexican cuisine in may i believe may 5th from 6 to 8 p.m okay and, and you'll the, be able to check that on our website i know the a menu. guy i know a guy do grasshoppers <laughs> can i attend oh, grasshopper. can I, yeah can I, can I show up absolutely <laughs> yeah, absolutely so how how can uh folks come and uh get tickets Is uh it? tickets are available on our website um shout out the website that's going to be linked through Refrigerator Diaries. Uh, yep, the website the will warm, be linked through Refrigerator Diaries. Warmemorial.org. The Warmemorial.org as well. It's going to be in the events section. And um, in addition to that, they, they do events is it every month. We are always doing events. We are open for weddings, bar mitzvahs, uh, galas. We host anything and everything. If you want it, we've got a beautiful space and venue. We're right on Lake St. Clair and Gross Point Farms, uh, 32 Lakeshore Drive and it's a beautiful old mansion built about 100 years ago. Uh, wonderful views of the lake. What's the name of the room that we were in um, for the brazing? The ballroom. The, Is that, the Freeze Ballroom Auditorium. Freeze. Are you going to be doing the uh, your class in there? I'm not sure yet. It's going to depend on, uh, on the size of the crowd. Okay. Well, that's, if anything, incentive to go ahead and come to this. I have to say, when I walked into this room... And I looked around and I saw those Florida ceiling windows with that amazing view of the water. Not only was there just such a strong sense of emotion that was spurred in me, I, I thought to myself, a wedding would be nice here. I, I don't know if it's it's mine per se. I, I, it might, it might, hint, hint, but, ladies and gentlemen. Uh-oh. But, but it it definitely looked like nice. So I I'd recommend uh, coming. Uh, the food is going to be great. I'd be honored to cook for your wedding if you wanted to have it with us. Absolutely, sir. We're, we're working on it. He has been talking about it. <laughs> I'm fortunate married. to be a part of a lot of people's uh, happy celebrations and to provide them with uh, hopefully good memories that they'll be able to take with them. That That is the beauty of He's it. He's blushing, guys. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. So when we come back, we're going to talk about a few things. Sourcing local. Shout out to hashtag we keep growing. What tastes good that isn't meat? Detroit markets and hint, hint, scary food or weird food. You be the deciding factor on Refrigerated Diaries when we return. All right, and we are back with Refrigerated Diaries. Uh, in this section, we're just going to be keeping it real open, uh, talking about sourcing local, what tastes good that isn't meat, Detroit markets, and scary food. So we're going to go right into scary food here. Uh, someone sent us a picture. We're going to keep those names anonymous here. Again, thank you for submitting. Be sure to submit your 
RDs, what is your RD hashtag? And uh, I got a picture of some jellied pig's blood and scorpion pizza. You know, so just to, to the type of people who work in a kitchen, right? Yeah. Not, not, no one was, uh, was turned off by this. In fact, uh, we, we had a story about the nutritional value of scorpions, right? <laughs> Why don't you walk us through that, Petro? No, you know, because we had talked about it. And, uh, one of the things is I asked, I said, do you have your head scorpion? And I was like, no. I, but the amazing thing about scorpion is that it tastes really similar to crawfish or lobster because it's the same family. And when you eat it with drawn butter and lemon, I mean, it's, it's a great experience for being a scorpion, right? The problem is sourcing scorpion meat. That's, you know, I mean, you, you can you can assume that risk to get that. But I've had it, and it's pretty amazing. Yeah. What haven't you had? You have a grasshopper scorpion. <laughs> like, I mean, do you eat, you know? I mean, if if all you had was, I mean, do you have hot dogs? That's scary to me, right? <laughs> I, I, I had a hot dog yesterday. Yeah, man. Home Depot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Shout out to the Depot. For sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, yeah, you know, I think I throw caution in the wind. My friends give me a hard time because I, like, Guilty pleasure is mm. gas station sushi. People are like, "What? That's a thing? It's a thing, dude." That's and, a gamble. Yeah, it's brother. a super That's gamble. <laughs> I live razor's edge, bro. That's how I am. No, uh, uh, yeah, and I'm just like, whatever, do it. You know, people they they shy on Yolo. risky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they shy on risky food, right? And you know, it's uh, it's just fun. You know, it's fun That's, time. Yeah. So I try to I try to eat uh, you know the most unique things possible. Right. Hey, you know, I, I try to eat the most unique things possible. I, I'll try some scorpion pizza now that I know that, and that is a fair point. Whenever you are presented with something, if you don't know what it is, give it a shot. Try it out, unless it's poisonous. Now, the jellied pig's blood, is that like a deconstructed haggis or something that they're trying to play around with right there? You know what? In all honesty, it looked like organic jello. You know, if that if that if that makes any sense to to you guys, that that's kind of the best way that I can think to describe. I'm actually it. a big fan of blood sausage. I'm oh. a real big fan of blood sausage. So I've worked with pig's blood, and uh, I'm I'm curious about the the jellied pig's blood. And oh, why don't you help us out here? For those that don't know, what what is blood sausage? Blood sausage is essentially you take grains of rice or or the, or the such, and you would uh, cook them and then mix them with pig's blood. And then essentially you pan fry it, uh, kind of crispies up and similar texture to sausage and it's dark and, and it's really delicious. It's got a, a lot of good meaty flavor and, uh, you know, it scares a lot of people. But if you want to go someplace where they're regularly doing it and doing it well, I recommend Forest Grill in Birmingham. Uh, Chef Nick Janadal usually has that on his menu in some form on one of his dishes and he always does it fantastic. Okay. So right. do, you, do you guys think this is a culture thing is where we're not introduced? Why are we so scared to try different food? You know, for me personally, just I've, if, the, if you can give me a background of what I'm eating, I'm more likely to try it. Uh, but even then, you know, I'm just thinking about the point you just made. You know, I eat hot dogs and, you know, and you, you're looking at me like you eat a hot dog. I'm looking at you eat scorpions and, and I guess what you're used to. But is it, you know, you think it's a culture thing if you just uh, – you know, I, I, every every food that we commonly eat has its um, it really has its background or its roots in in poor people food, right? At some point, someone was hungry enough to Correct. try something out. That's true. You know, and I think we live in this amazing society where we have food on demand all mm-hmm. the time, right? So, 
when we look at things that are when we use words like farm to table, we look at you know s- you know snout to tail, and we go, oh, these are amazing things I want to participate in. That was business as usual two hundred years ago. Yeah, you know? and, you're right. and now we're we're giving light to it, right? Uh, it's a it's a situation where. Uh, there are people out there hungry enough to eat things that, and you know, maybe in you know, first world countries like America, we go, oh no, I'd never eat that. But there's people eating that every day. Every day, good yeah. point, very true. Yeah. So when when I think about just in terms of what people are are into and the focus of that, I I always think that. I, I don't want to be on the other side. Like, I'm a socially good person, but even like listening to you talk right now, like, I, I don't want to be on the other side where I'm like, okay, that's perfect. That's exactly the, the language that we need to say to make sure that we can marginalize products, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's always dollars and cents. But, um, um, let's, let's go into another direction with that here. Uh, Detroit, which also is home to uh, quite a bit of food, right? And in terms of just speaking, people doing things because they're just hungry enough or people doing things because they need to, uh, from a, a financial standpoint, uh, Detroit is home to one of the largest, if not largest, uh, open standing markets in the Midwest. And in addition to that, about $1.5 million, that is the market value of produce grown by Detroiters each year, uh, just from their yards or homes or some aspect or rendition of uh, agricultural properties uh, that they're just doing. This this urban farming thing is, is a legitimate uh, happening. I remember long, long time ago in the years when I, I was doing things, I was uh, working at Target and uh, I was having a conversation about urban farming, especially Belleville. Belleville was something that came up as well as like a place in the Metro Detroit area uh, focused on urban farming. And I thought, you know, no one's going to buy anything that someone's growing out of their backyard. I, I know people. <laughs> <laughs> right. Fast forward now. And you showed your age with that comment. <laughs> Fast forward now, people are, um, you know, serving some of the finest qualities uh, to you. Um, you know, even just last week, I had a conversation with someone who instructed me that he has some of the best, freshest, non-organic lettuce that I can buy. So pristine that if I washed it in tap water, I would dirty the lettuce. He used a greenhouse hydroponic system grown in solution. So uh, by technicality, the product cannot be referred to as organic, even though it probably is just as clean, right? So <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot of, of that going on here. Do you guys plan on sourcing some aspect of local? I know with your can to table, that's going to be difficult. Yeah. I mean, you know, can table is not the only uh, aspect of Brujo's menu. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, it's important to realize and we try to, we like to use chefs in general. Everyone in the kitchen likes to use hyperlocalization as this tagline, right? Well, what does that mean? Um, there's a seasonality to things that we, we have no control over. And we want to use the best product that week that we can get our hands on. So in September in Detroit, that means I'm getting really awesome tomatoes, right? Mm-hmm. Or August, right? And I'm getting really awesome Detroit-grown tomatoes, which is super sweet. You know, in January, no one's getting Detroit grown tomatoes, you know, and or if they are, they're getting it from a hothouse 
that is probably cost prohibitive, right? To to you know to get people to get a tomato slice. I remember when people talked about hyperlocalization for the first time years ago in my career. Uh, they were like, oh well, you know, you go to a restaurant and you want a BLT, and you can't get a BLT because it's January and there's no fresh tomatoes. Yeah, you know, and and that's just kind of something you have to deal with, right? But as chefs, we try to work around. I'm sure you 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 know what I mean you find that in your career as well, right? Uh, absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, we actually just got uh, presented with a grant for thirty or forty thousand to build our own gardens on site at the oh, War wow. Memorial. Wow! So that's a project <laughs> I'm going to be working on this year. That's amazing. Um, more than just herbs. Hopefully, doing a lot uh, a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm hoping. I just started uh, composting at work. Uh, Everything that we're doing, so hopefully we'll be getting our own soil uh, to be planting in our garden, which is really cool. I'm really about utilizing that whole total cycle of uh, hyper-localization yeah. as much as I can. I know there's some great farms around Detroit, Recovery Park Farms, I believe, mm-hmm. and sure some other places. Shout out to Recovery Park. Yeah. Um, that I would, for one, love to start working with because I know some of the stuff that we source on a larger scale, I'm not always happy with the quality that we get. And I know that for a little bit more money, I might be getting something that's a lot more easier on my conscious and also going to look a lot nicer on a plate. Uh, that's something to think about. If you are listening, please submit your favorite uh, local Detroit farm. We've got three folks here, four folks here, five folks sitting at the table who could potentially purchase from them. So let's go into the spirit of Detroit as we're, we're sticking along with the terms here. Detroit markets. Um, not just food, but Detroit in general just has a very, very strong following, right? Like I, I was looking on an Instagram the other day, um, a shout out to Village Parlor, and uh, I noticed the amount of Detroit-based t-shirts that people were wearing. And I, I just can't help to think like, man, you know, Detroit is so sexy right now. Like, what, <laughs> when did that happen? <laughs> like. Which is proud. I, I feel happy. I feel like, you know, those, those like the granddad who sees the kid make the first shot off the bench or, or like. Is that what you went to? Cause when you said that, I was like, so Detroit was like that chick with the glasses in high school that she took her glasses off and put her hair down. <laughs> wow, like, wow. 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 Where were you in? Yeah. Is that Brittany Murphy and Clueless? Yeah. Essentially? yeah. That's yeah. Detroit. Yeah. Is Brittany, Brittany Murphy, Murphy and Clueless? R.I.P. Brittany. <laughs> <laughs> But seriously, though, like, uh, like even with the Eastern Market, right? Um, you know, like we we've got some of the the freshest produce available to us these days. And when you you think about just like the utilization of Detroit markets, Detroit food systems, Detroit has a, a great opportunity here. A lot of eyes on Detroit, and a lot of just chances to to take a chance, right? There's like things you could do different. Like first can to table restaurant. You guys are going to be building a farm in the War Memorial. Well, I, I think a lot of it, in my experience, I think it has to do with uh, Detroit to its core. Detroit is uh, known some circles as hustlers. We're grinders. We're going to find a way. And some of it was I maybe you know, I'm not a chef, but I was, from the outside looking in, it was just easy for you to grow the grow the, the product yourself, you know. Or if you wasn't even like the quality, you can you know I could do better. And so I think this this trend, this this new idea. It's some of it's health consciousness and some of it just out of necessity. I feel. I mean, I, maybe you guys tell me differently, but I think it's out of necessity. Like you know, where where you're trying to take your your restaurants, where you're trying to do your food quality, you have to be local. You have to have a different alternative source. 
And then, you know, also, you know, looking at the, the big picture, you know, I never felt a corporation had my best interests. Whereas you have a family-based restaurant, you work with your family, you guys have a different sense of what's important. You know, not necessarily, okay, What? what how can we increase our margins? And, you know, it's like, uh, I can't, the Snickers, how they, side note, I just know how there's two Snickers in the Snicker wrapper now instead of one long Snicker. Portion control. Por- exactly. <laughs> exactly. But as a chocolate lover, as someone who won the Snickers, that doesn't benefit me, you know? So, I mean, that's off topic, but it's still on top in terms of why you're doing it, you know? No, I get it, man. I uh, I will tell you that, like, for instance, with Brujo, I wanted to make, I, I told myself, I was like, okay, I could sit here and I can make an amazing, you know, fresh pasta with a duck egg and I can, you know, I can soften garlic and butter and truffle and make an amazing dish. But how do you make an amazing taco, you know? Mm -hmm. And and what does that mean to me? What does amazing taco mean to me? I thought I was like, well, I think I want to make my own tortillas. So I get on the phone and and was a couple of my buddies in Chicago and I'm like, hey man, I'm, I'm thinking about opening a Mexican restaurant or taco spot. And they're like, oh, sweet man. I was like, I think about making my own tortillas. Like, don't do it. I'm like, why? It's like, no, man, you just buy tortillas. Everyone buys tortillas. And then so I ask around here and I'm like, there's really great tortilla makers here, you mm-hmm. know, and and they I've I met with some of them and, and I was like, I want I'm thinking about making my own tortilla. And they're like, Oh, well, we can supply the corn, but don't do it, man. Chefs should don't want to make their own tortillas. And I'm like, why don't we want to make our own tortillas? It's like, because it's too much work. I'm like, that's not an excuse. That's not an excuse, right. My tortillas, and by the way, Brujo's fresh tortillas, every single taco made to order. Made to order. Yeah, and and my tortillas are delicious, and I'm Greek. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, that's, that's like, and I make delicious tortillas, you know? Right, right. Yeah, it's something about looking at a taco on a picture and seeing the the factory marks of it coming off of the... uh, the conveyor belt, you mm-hmm. see this like stripe that goes down the middle of it. Like, to my eye, I go, man, I hate that stripe. I'm like, why is that stripe there? And so I, I literally, I had a guy working for me who's a, a Mexican guy. And I, I asked him, I was like, can you, you know, do you know anyone who knows how to make tortillas? And he's like, my grandma does. So I had his grandma in my kitchen at Republica okay. oh, teaching me how to make tortillas. And dude, she's so Jedi. Like <laughs> she was doing it with her hands without looking. And I'm just like, I, I need a press. Like Show give me a tortilla me press. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that also speaks to Detroit being multicultural too. You yep. know, we have a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds here, and our food represents that. And I think you know, utilizing that is is really great. You know, that's that's beautiful, man. Yeah, the opportunity to have you know, I, I'd even say West African themed sushi or just like a, a blend of all of this utopian fusion is 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 just bound to happen have you guys seen the spam sushi that's big in hawaii oh yeah, yeah. oh we, yeah. we that was our first episode okay <laughs> we okay. talked about spam yeah oh, nice. it, yeah it's definitely a, a shocking surprise so uh one of the things that we're going to go into uh with our last couple of minutes here is what tastes good that isn't meat uh you've probably got quite a bit going on at the war memorial what's uh one thing that you've come up with that tastes good that isn't meat for uh, our audience, we just gotta clarify like what isn't considered fish skin, crispy fish skin tastes delicious. Is that considered meat? Hmm. Mm. The flesh of not the flesh, the skin. The skin. Well, technically, a fish does not feel pain, right? So, I think a lot of the uh, what goes lobsters into, feel pain. 
Lobsters feel pain? I didn't know that. In I, France, they just made it law that you can no longer boil lobsters alive. I believe in France. Really? Due to the <laughs> fact that they feel pain, you now have to stun them or kill them humanely before you cook the lobster. Did not know that, dude. Didn't know that until this week. Did not know that, dude. How many of you guys listening feel bad for the lobsters you boiled alive? Let us know. (laughs) (laughs) They're so so delicious. The plight of the onion always moves me to tears, and the plight of the lobster Uh, always moves me to tears. I see what you did there. (laughs) All right. uh, Send us off here, Petro. Uh, You know, I'm a big fan of eggplant. I really am. Uh, both in meme form and on the plate. False. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Zing. Uh, zing yeah. No, uh, you know, eggplant is one of these dishes or one of these vegetables that's just, uh, they can, it can do it all, right? You, you want it in something that, uh, resembles meat. You, it can do that. It can absorb those properties. Uh, you, you want it to stand on its own. You want to stuff it with, you know, rice. You don't want to, st- you know, it, it's an amazing little thing. And eggplant, uh, um, it really has a meatiness and a, and a, and a depth of flavor that uh, I enjoy. And then I, w- I was having a conversation with you, right? Like eggplant itself is a little poisonous. Is it a little toxic? Is that Yeah, correct? yeah. So if you eat it raw, uh, you'll, your throat will get scratchy. You not, your lips might even get a little knot. It won't kill you unless you eat like 15 pounds of eggplant raw. I mean, oh. if you're doing that, then I think somewhere we – between A and Z, something else happens. Right? Some bigger you, issues going yeah, on. Some bigger issues, yeah. That's similar to pineapple, I believe it's got like bromine in it, and that actually like digests the uh, the interior of your mouth. So if you eat a lot of pineapple, you'll start to feel a little raw raw inside, and that's uh, the chemical bromine. That's not true. It's kind of when I was eight you. years old, I tried to eat my weight in pineapples, and the entire time, I thought that it was just something wrong with the pineapple now i know <laughs> now i know we will have to talk about that one after <laughs> pineapple <laughs> eats you back so be careful with pineapple be careful be careful with pineapple people yeah absolutely so thank you so much be sure to check in in june to enjoy some fresh halal meat prepared by petro along with the very first can to table a restaurant concept in the city of detroit and check in with justin and may for the War Memorial Eat, right? What was that? The Eat series, which is Engage, Aspire, Taste. And then what is the date of the event? I believe it's May 5th from 6 to 8 p.m. All right. And uh, we will uh, see you later. Again, don't forget, hashtag what's your RD Refrigerator Diaries. <laughs>